The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Schoology's passion lies in helping instructors and students have the best education experience possible. Schoology is a collaborative, student-focused, and faculty-centered learning management system. Students love Schoology because it gives them 24-7 access to course materials, real-time feedback from their instructors, and easy-to-use collaborative tools. Teachers love the streamlined workflow, integrated apps such as Google and Microsoft tools, and the ability to view evidence of student learning for making instructional decisions. To learn more about what is possible with Schoology, simply visit Schoology.com. We, we do have uh, non-food topics. Oh, okay. I, I thought we were doing like Top Chef or something here. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We will discuss teacher-centric approaches to professional development, why teachers keep on striking, how to attract new teachers, and our guest this week is the amazing Carl Hooker from Eanes Independent School District in Austin, Texas. Eanes like beans. Yes, that's what he told us. <laughs> Eanes like beans. Great, great of, guest. Great guest. Speaking of beans. Yes. I was um, putting together my kids' lunch today, and um, I'll, I'll tell you what they asked for, especially Isaac. Isaac loves this, and I'm not sure if this is unique or not. Hopefully it's not, because um, it seems like a pretty <laughs> normal thing. But Isaac loves – so we buy um, we buy flour tortillas. Okay. Um, That's pretty normal. Okay. Yeah. And then um, put peanut butter on them. Okay. And then wrap them up like a roll oh, okay so yeah. it's a it's it's peanut butter in a flour tortilla isaac I, loves that instead of a sandwich like instead of like a peanut butter and jam sandwich yeah he'll eat like a peanut butter and jam wrap yeah and, and, you, and you guys tortilla. say in canada jam instead of jelly yeah okay so, all right <laughs> no but i do <laughs> i do actually make peanut butter and jelly uh, burritos but that's just me and my household and everybody probably looks at me strange here including my wife like looking at me like what are you doing <laughs> so uh, so wrap so wrapping up peanut butter and jam in a in a in a tortilla is kind of normal um sure no <laughs> no <laughs> i would say it's it's not uh that weird um but yeah so, no i i think for especially for kids i could see that totally but i like it too so so what's so what's something you guys eat that other people might find strange um, my wife eats a lot of things that I don't, uh, eat that are really healthy. Um, <laughs> but I, I will, I will eat them sometimes just, uh, to try them out, you know? So yeah. a lot of the vegetarian based things, uh, you know, vegan type of things, uh, that she makes sometimes exclusively for herself though. We sometimes eat them too. Oh, have you ever had veggie corn dogs? No, they, they are delicious, Mike. Uh, I think I can't remember the, it's just a, a, a regular company that makes them, you know, uh, uh, and then they're found in your freezer aisle. Um, and they are so well worth it because you will never know that they're veggie. Uh, they taste delicious. You warm them up in the microwave or you heat them in the, you know, bake them in the oven or whatever it might be. Yeah. And our kids absolutely love them. So veggie nice. corn dogs, I think would be the one where you're like, well, you'll be blown away by the taste and then it's semi-healthy. I mean, it still have has you, a lot of fats, but yeah, it's still, it's better than eating, you know, processed meat. 
Sure. And speaking of processed meat, have you ever had like one of the new kind of hamburgers, like the Impossible Burger or anything mm, like that? Any no. of these new veggie burgers? I have not. So, th- so there's a chain in in Canada called A and W. I don't know if there's A and Ws in the United States, sure. but they're yeah, like the root beer. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So there's a there there are um lots of those in Canada. It's a pretty popular chain in Canada. I don't know how many there are in the states, but it's, they it's they popular. Yeah. They carry the Impossible Burger now the at A and W, and it's a veggie yeah. burger. And it's a veggie burger, and I'll you have to would take Nicole out to it. Yeah. You would not know. You wouldn't know no that it's a not at all. Like okay, I'm ready. If dude. you didn't tell her, if you just said. Like, A&W has this new burger yeah. and, and it's called the impossible burger because it's so amazing. They can't believe it's possible how good it is. Okay. And, and you didn't tell her it was a veggie burger. I guarantee, I, I virtually guarantee you she wouldn't know. I think we should get people to weigh in on the impossible burger. I, I'm interested now, but, but I'll tell you, I've had it and it's friggin' great. Like I could eat the impossible burger instead of a hamburger. Mm. Um, like, pretty consistently i'd be happy with it it's it's really good it's that good okay yeah, i'm gonna i'm gonna definitely try i'm gonna try to do that this week and then say hey we gotta we gotta go out to eat at a and w she likes a and w anyway so this is yeah this is good we we like a and w here as well so um we we do have uh non-food topics oh okay to talk about I, I thought we were doing like <laughs> top chef or something here okay. and, and uh and our our farming is going well just in case anyone is wondering yes. we are we, we are us, tell us yes <laughs> we are still absolutely addicted to a farming game oh god it's um, so addictive yep it has it has officially cracked my top 10 all-time most played games on steam and you play a lot of games i mean on steam <laughs> you have i mean you have I all do. the games on steam so i have have all of the games yes. on Steam. as we've said before in the thing but <laughs> but for it to crack your top 10 that's a lot i mean yeah i'm over 100 hours now okay i'm i'm probably getting close to that so pretty intense farming Far- just crazy going farming. on i swear to god i'm i i'm staring at my laptop running my farm um because steve isaacs wants to go and um, cut my beats down um, so I opened up the farm form. So it, I mean, it's right beside me. It's running constantly. I, I, I can't stop farming people. I'm like dreaming about um, corn. Yeah. Yeah. And no. stuff. Well, so. that's, that's those are weird dreams, man. It's, corn it is, dreams. <laughs> it is quite strange. Uh, this is we have an interesting pod because I think some of this stuff is pretty related. Like uh, what we're going to talk about um, later on uh, in in after the break. Yes. Um, but but this this first thing we want to talk about this teacher centric approach to PD. I love it. Uh, the the idea that that there are districts that are um, foregoing kind of a mandated top down approach to teacher um professional development stuff like what damon um torgerson talks about yes um you know uh initiative overload i guess is the the word um that that we use for stuff like that where where it's like the boss is saying you got to learn this you got to learn this you got to learn this and instead this idea that you can um have a menu for lack of better words yes. of little things little ways that you can imp- improve um, your practice give you an idea um, teach you something new um, and and get compensated for that yes um, and uh, and and it's bite sizable it's it's easy to consume what did you think of this I think this is pretty great I love it and let me just read the description here because people yeah. are gonna be really 
I, I think, interested in learning more about this. But basically, three times a year, there's a two-week submission window open that allows teachers to submit for these micro-credentialing for completion. And the, uh, you can think of that as a badge or whatever it might be, it's just basically a, a mini professional development unit. And you can choose one that the district offers. You can select ones with the district. They have some partners outside of the district that have created some uh, modules, if you want to call them that way. Or you can create your own love that you know and then basically right. once they're approved you can basically you can apply for uh if you make less than seventy five thousand, uh you can apply for two thousand dollars worth of micro credentials per year so by getting professional development you actually get paid you know what i mean you, you're actually getting paid to continue to earn money or uh, sorry to to grow in the profession you're getting right. getting paid if you make more than 75,000 it's less you earned less but depending upon you know what school district you're at i'm sure you can work something out with whoever your local negotiating team is but they've had 142 micro credentialing approval requests already and then they've uh, awarded uh, more than fifteen hundred of them since the since the event actually began. Um, so in the last window, sorry, this last uh, submission window, they had one hundred and forty two go through, but fifteen hundred already overall that they've already approved. Uh, super awesome way to do professional development. Talk about uh, you know. Uh, teacher voice, you know what I mean, and and choice where you can say, hey, this is what I need right now. And I want to go ahead and learn more about this and then submit it and then be able to get paid for it too. Fantastic. So, so we saw this idea on a, an article in Edutopia um, by, um, what's her name? Alyssa Voigt. Alyssa Voigt mm-hmm. at Kettle Moraine School District. We're going to link this article in the show notes and, and probably give them a shout out, I think, on Twitter because Absolutely. Um, we're, we're a giant fan of this. And, and I think I'd actually love to learn a little bit more about this. So maybe we'll get someone um, from there on on to talk about this because I I think that this is an amazing model. This Um, is the next way. Yes, exactly. Because not only do teachers not want to be forced to do almost anything that they don't, you know, feel would be valuable, but to also just force PD down people's throats that doesn't apply to them or, or, I mean, none of it works. You have to have buy-in. We talk about it so often that, I mean, I don't know how many more times we have to say, but you have to have buy-in and, and, and teachers need to believe that this is the first question should be, how is this going to help me be a better teacher? And if you can't answer that, then, I mean, what what the hell are you even doing? Exactly. So, and I mean, I think that when teachers get to choose from a list of options or, or create their, just, own, or, or create their own option, and as long as it's approved, you know, because once it's approved, that, you know, that means that it's been through a process where people have said, okay, yeah, we see the value in this and maybe other people would like to do it too, but you can do this and this looks great. Um so, I, I mean, this is the way to go. A hundred percent, this is the way to go. Yeah, so, we, we got to so, have them on to to talk more about it and how it works. And then so we can all learn from that and then be able to, to you know, have models like that in our own school districts. Sure. Pretty exciting stuff. So a pretty common problem, and, and this came up on Twitter as well, and I think that's maybe where this um, sprang from, but a pretty common problem, especially in the United States, but it's still a, a problem in Canada, is what you do after you're done school and you've just shelled out 
you know, <laughs> in upwards of $40,000 for your education. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people even more. Uh, Glenn can get into that um, <laughs> because I, I know he's quite a bit more than even I, I spent. Um, but I mean, your student loans come due and you don't even have a damn job yet. Or you're working at like wherever you're working part time at A&W selling <laughs> yes. impossible burgers instead yes. of teaching. Um, you know, so a, a couple of universities have come up with some innovative ways to pay back your school. Yes. Um, including this idea of um, income sharing or the idea that once you I, I, correct me if I'm wrong, this is basically once you get a job, once you start doing what it is you went to school to do and you start earning an income, then you start paying back a portion of your tuition as uh, like a monthly payment or something. Exactly like that. right. Yeah. So they take a percent of your monthly income, which I mean, I'm looking at some of the universities here, for example, the University of Utah loans yeah. between six and $20,000 uh, per year, uh, depending upon how much you actually need. Um, and then when you get your job, uh, you pay back 2.85% of your monthly income uh, back to the student loan, you know, back to the loan. And the duration of the payments are three to 10 and a half years, depending upon what it is, of course, or how much you actually borrowed. Um, but the coolest part, this is the part that I really like, Mike, is if you don't actually get a job, you don't, it, you know, you get that job, you're not, you don't pay back anything. So right. it's kind of a double incentive is like, we're going to prepare you for a job that is going to exist. And when you get that job, you'll pay us back, which 2.85% isn't a giant ask, you know what I mean? As far as a percent of your monthly income. Right. Um, and it's a cool way of doing it. So you don't pay anything up front. I mean, that's pretty dang cool. I mean, as far as a way to be able to go ahead and get these, uh, you know, uh, a way to be able to manage these loans. And I think the reason why if you read this article the universities are seeing that some students are just not going to school or delaying going to college, going and earning some money. And then when they come to school, they want to pay their their tuition right off the bat, you know, kind of with the money that they actually have instead of incurring debt. So there's a lot of knowledge out there uh, from our, our generation of students that are coming in as college students. They're like, I don't want to take on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. Um, yeah. And instead, we're just going to hold off on going to school or only go part time. You know what I mean? And so right. it takes them longer to get through school or, or if, you know, or if they even end up attending uh, just because they're so scared of taking on that amount of debt, which who could blame them, you know? Right. And so the minimum salary you have to make before you start paying back is generally between 20 and 25 grand, which I mean, I would suggest that if you if you're applying for a job out of university in a in a field that requires a university degree, you're probably making even at entry level, you're going to be making more than 20 or 25 grand a year. So, yes. <laughs> well, and I mean, you, you probably will be for sure. One thing I really like about this is that it also it also forces the university to put its money where that's where its mouth is in yes. terms of the qual- in terms of the quality of the education and that being enough to get you a job because so many universities tout numbers about how many graduates get jobs yes. um, after graduating from so and so you graduate from so and so and we have a 95% employment rate kind of yeah, thing yes. right yes. you see that all the time yeah. Um, even with universities that don't need to advertise their kind of employment rates because they just get numbers regardless, they still talk about 
you know, that we're sending so-and-so like the university of Waterloo up here in Ontario. It's one of the best universities in the world for like computer science and engineering. Like by like, it, it was kind of founded by not founded, but um, Blackberry ended up being up here because of the university of Waterloo and uh, Google's main Canada office is in Waterloo. And so it's known, it's a known school. They still talk about how many people they feed to science and engineering and physics and all of these roles, because it's a thing that they Super talk important. about. Exactly. And, and so now it's forcing these schools to say, you know, you know, we're not going to get paid Unless you get, it sounds like a lawyer. We won't get paid until you until get, you get paid. paid. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but the reality is, is that that's the way it's going to happen. And that's, I think that that's great. That forces universities to actually, you know, be invested in the outcomes of the students instead of just take, taking your tuition and, and walking away. Absolutely, man. Uh, and, and I mean, it gives them a vested interest too in getting you a job. So there are some universities. I know that the University of Minnesota connects students with positions, you know, like at least gives you the opportunity to apply and to have a good chance of getting a, a specific kind of job. Their education department, I'm not sure if that's actually the case, but I know in other departments like the business department, those kinds of things where you're going to be connected to a business, maybe you'll even do an internship there. And eventually they know you're going to get hired at this place. So that, that placement rate is so important and so vital to any student investing their money to say, hey, I will get this certain kind of job instead of just being like, oh, I, I just graduated with $100,000 of debt and yeah. now I don't even have a job. Exactly. So people are still walking out of schools. Like there's still all of these strikes going on. This week, I guess, was West Virginia. Yes. And and Oakland. Oakland, California. Um, I tell you, this has been a hell of a year for this. Pretty awesome stuff. And, and I mean, it's not really a whole lot different necessarily than the rest of them but i mean i think we're seeing a wave right we're seeing you know momentum and and i think you know the narrative uh, it's so much better than the narrative i've ever seen for strikes like i've never seen narrative on the side of teachers like i've seen in the united states in the last you know six months with these all of these walkouts um overwhelmingly maybe not overwhelmingly but a large part of the support is on the teacher's side for these walkouts. They're just, they're paid like garbage and they're treated like crap and their schools are falling apart. And, yes. and I mean, everyone's had enough, including parents and kids. Yes. And it's really awesome to see parent support uh, for the teachers instead of them, uh, you know, so often in, in other years, it's been where it's no, you been get anti-teacher, you know, you get anti-teacher kind of rhetoric out there. Yeah. And it's been a lot of, a lot of support uh, for the strikes themselves. And then really pretty quick resolutions for them. I mean, if you think about uh, the LA teacher strikes, how quickly it was resolved for such a ginormous school yeah. district. And, and then all of the other ones that have happened previously, they're getting in Denver public schools, for example, three days, and then they already have a resolution. They are being, they're working. So the, the strikes are working. The, the things that they're striking for, you know, uh, of course, we're talking about salary and we'll talk more about that in our next segment too, but, um, things like, uh, you know, the funding in West Virginia of these charter schools, basically kind of a scam way of taking money out of the general funding pot and then placing it in these other places 
to eventually erode the public schools. And that's kind of what happened in Los Angeles is, yeah. is there was an, enough money taken away from these public schools and putting into these other types of schools, these charter schools, uh, that it was – uh, you know, creating an atmosphere where you have, you know, 40 plus students per class and your cl- your schools themselves are horrible and falling apart. And then eventually it leads to the, you know, where people are go like, why would we send our kids to a public school? Um, so it's interesting that, that all of these things are actually being validated. These topics are being validated and that the teacher strikes are working. They they definitely seem to be. The, the Denver one was a huge win. LA was a pretty big win. Uh, but a lot of these ones, the teachers are coming out, not only with the maintained narrative, which is, I, I think it's critical. You, if teachers won, but lost the support of people at the same time, be that rough. would be, I mean, it'd be tough because the next time it has to happen, you're not going to get the same level of support you got now. But I think that um, one of the things that's really um, different this time in the States anyways, is is that not only are the teachers winning, but they're keep they're maintaining their support. Like everyone's happy they won. Yes. Uh, as opposed to oh, okay, we're back to school now. Well, it's great they got their twelve percent raise, but you know my kid was home, blah blah blah, and now I'm angry. Um, congratulations on your on your twenty dollars a week raise. Yes. Um, you know that kind of stuff we don't want. We don't want to lose the support of the public. We, you know, so many uh, American institutions have been undermined in the last two or three years as it is, um, you know, we can't really afford to be undermining them all. Um, and, and teachers are more important now. Like we literally just had, we've had a couple amazing conversations with teachers talking about how important it is to be mentors and have the kids look up to you and, and teachers need to be, um, looked upon as, as guides for, um, you know, the world, which is crazy right now. And um, it's hard to do that when uh, their parents are talking smack about them at home at the dinner table because they go on strike. Very tough. Yes, exactly. When we come back, we're going to talk about another another tough subject, another interesting subject. Um, how to how to hire new teachers, how to keep new teachers, how to attract new teachers. So stay tuned. Quests. One of Classcraft's most popular features with over 100,000 lessons created by teachers and 3 million learning objectives completed by students so far is now part of Classcraft's free offerings. In 2019, your students won't just be learning multiplication, chemistry, or any other content. They'll be saving the kingdom. Transform your lessons into adventures with Quest today. Visit Classcraft.com for more information. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, saw an article this week in the Buffalo News about um, about how hard a time they're having attracting new teachers. Super interesting. And I mean, we just came off a segment talking about strikes and stuff like that. I can see how it would be actually um, pretty difficult right now to say, hey, why don't you get into to teaching? And, and I guess we have some ideas on on how to uh, how to get teachers into the profession. Uh, Glenn, uh, maybe like paying them more. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think, you know, that resounding thing that we heard last summer from the uh, teachers are professionals movement yep. is is basically you know that's not a something that's ever going to go away i don't think uh if you want professional 
teachers and and your stu- your kids to have a, a really high quality of education. You don't mm-hmm. want to have the people that are hired to do this job to be kind of subservient uh, profession, you know, subservient profession. And even what you're attracting to the profession and, you know, the type of quality of candidates, uh, you want them to be the smartest, the most, the, the most creative type of people that are coming out of each type of graduating class and then them wanting to go ahead and jump into the teaching profession. And I don't think we have that right now. I, I honestly, I mean, I know we don't because number one, there's a teacher shortage throughout the nation. Uh, yeah. Number two, the way that you get into being a teacher is I don't think rigorous enough. So we don't, uh, you know, when you're, when you're going to be a, a doctor, for example, there's so many multi-levels of, of uh, as you go through your education process that basically you're cutting out uh, certain people who are just not qualified to be able to do this this job. We should do the exact same thing in education. It's not for everyone. We've actually talked about this. Is if if it's not hard work, then something is wrong. You know what I mean? It's it's the most complex profession. You're dealing with these. Uh, you're not dealing with a product. Uh, you know, you're dealing with actual human beings and the evolving nature of their needs. And if you're not ready for that, you're not that. Uh, qualified to be that person, you shouldn't even be in the profession. But I think too often it becomes a default profession, at least it does in the United States. And I know we've had this conversation where in Canada, you guys actually do treat teachers like professionals. It is a very uh, in-demand profession. Like a lot of people seek out this degree because they they want to be Almost in this profession. Many. Yeah, exactly. And want well, to be in this profession. And and then we kind of have the exact opposite where it's kind of like, oh, I couldn't do this. So I guess now I'm going to teach. It's like, wow, that's horrible. I, I don't want, I actually don't want those people in the, in the profession. If that's kind of your, your secondary choice uh, for a it's career, that old, you know, it's that old saying those, those who can do and those who can't teach. Yeah. And that's horrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it's completely horrible. Um, I, I have a clarifying question. In in the United States, the Bachelor of Education, is it a postgraduate degree? Like you have to have an undergrad already to do a Bachelor of Education. Is that correct? It's a – okay, so when you seek out your education uh, certification, I guess is the best way to be able to describe it, you uh, – a couple different ways to be able to do it. But most of the time, you major in a – uh, like for example, let's call it elementary education is, is an actual major that a lot of universities offer and you're qualified to teach basically K through six, let's call it that, uh, students. Um, it's an undergrad degree and then you do student teaching, uh, in order to qualify basically for your license. Uh, so it's kind mm-hmm. of like you work in conjunction with those two things. So basically you have a four-year degree most of the time, and then another yeah. six months or a semester of the student teaching. Now there's some other oh. practicum stuff that happens beforehand, usually during the, uh, when you're seeking out the degree, you may actually do a practicum of, you know, I don't know, somewhere between 20 and 60 hours. I'm not sure, you know, depending on the state. Um, and then you go into classrooms, not actually teach most of the time, but basically observe those kinds of things and do those, uh, you know, reflection. Uh, but when you get into, to get the degree, you have to complete the student teaching portion, and then you can qualify for your license. There's other requirements for the license too. Uh, right. 
depending on the state, tests, uh, other kinds of portfolios, et cetera. You know, there's other things that you have to do. So in Ontario, it's different. Uh, okay. In Canada, I think it's different. You have to have an undergrad first. Okay. Like you have to go, like I have, so I have two degrees. I have a Bachelor of Arts and Science. Okay. Uh, that's a four-year degree. And then I have a Bachelor of Education that was um, right now, or when I was doing it, it was a year. But now a Bachelor of Education is actually two years. Wow. So it's a total so, of six years. So you're in, in school full-time for six years. Okay. Uh, to 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 be a teacher in in at least in Ontario, I I, I don't know if that's a, across all of Canada, but I know in Ontario it's it's it, you have to have an undergrad um, of some sort. Like Cheryl was a um, uh, bachelor of kinesiology. She wasn't sure if she wanted to be a teacher or a doctor, um, so she did kinesiology, uh, and then she did her bachelor of education at the University of Western Ontario. Um, so. So, but she was still five years, uh, which is what I was five years. Um, But now it's six years. And the reason why they, one of the reasons they highlight for why they switched to six years was because there were too many graduates. Okay. It was too, it was too easy to go and get your, go from an undergrad. uh, You could just go get a BA in history. Right. Yes. And then, and, and which is, you know a pretty common degree and then and then just go and do your b ed and then you'd be qualified to be a teacher yes but we had we had literally we have we still do literally have thousands if not tens of thousands of teachers that are working at in in retail trying to get jobs because of also the the asinine hiring practices of our you know of our province which we've talked about before yes but the thing is, is that they're like you've just said, they're in demand. This is yes, what people wanted to do because, um, you know, the starting salary for a teacher in Ontario is in the low mid to mid 40s, I'd say. Um, but very quickly, I mean, you know, you make after 12 years, you're making around or just over $100,000 a year. That's amazing. Uh, um, you know, so my wife has been a kindergarten teacher for 10 or 12 years. And that's, and it's pretty common knowledge. Like you can literally, if you search up um, Peel District School Board salary grid, sure. it's pretty it's common knowledge. knowledge. Like yeah. you could just go and look it up. Of course. Uh, how Same much, thing in how States. much. Yep. Right. But it's because they know, like the reason why people want to teach in Ontario is because of it's it's a stable job it's it's a rewarding job um it's a respected job but it also um it's it's a it's a well-paying career in the end with a full like i mean the ontario we've talked about this before too the ontario teachers pension plan is one of the wealthiest pension plans on the planet yes uh they owned the toronto maple leafs at one point so i mean as far as stability goes there's not a whole lot better this comes this comes down to a question of what what we would call opportunity cost um when you have a really smart person let's say there's just a a a smart 17 18 year old kid who has who could do anything they wanted you you graduate high school and you could do anything you could be a physicist you could be an astronaut you you are so smart that you could just do whatever the heck you wanted to do you're going to choose a career that has, you know, there's going to be things that are different and important to you because you're an individual person, but you're going to weigh a bunch of things and, and it's going to be things like future earnings. It's going to be the accumulation of, you know, of, of, of wealth and prosperity. 
um, you know, a stable job, a respected job and, and stuff like this. And I think that when you add up all of those, like if you were to create a rubric for education, for being a teacher in the United States, let's say Louisiana, <laughs> fun, right? Okay. Uh, if you had to create a, or, or Arkansas, let's say we wanted to create a rubric for teaching in Arkansas. Uh, I mean, how low would that score be? I mean, it would be oh, yeah. brutal. You mean as far as pay, respected? Uh, all of the, you know, like if you had a 10 point scale. Yeah, exactly. Of all of those types of It would of be things. awful. Yeah. yeah. You Benefits. would go be an astronaut, of right? Of, of course. course you would. Yeah. And I mean, or a lawyer or a doctor, because all of those careers don't have the the same. But but certainly um, in Ontario, the level of education to be a teacher is on par with the level of education to be a lawyer. Oh, okay. Uh, well, or it, pretty, it might, pretty close, right? Yeah. Six years. Yeah. And I'm not sure how long it would take to get a law degree in the United States. I mean, as far as that goes. But I know that if we, if we did follow your, your set plan as far as uh, basically earning the equivalent of a master's degree. So you have a four-year undergrad degree and then you have two more Which years. Which is what it is. Yeah. yeah, two more years. In those two years, I would be pro that. But what I would want to make sure that we would do in those two years is that it would be a hands-on type of education. So we're talking about being in schools with students, experiencing that, developing lesson plans, knowing how to manage your classroom, and then all of the other things that come along with it, ed tech, uh, you know, pedagogy, curriculum, all of those things. You're yeah. working with those things, not the theories of those things. That should be totally in your undergrad. Now you're doing that for two years, I say yes to that. And then as far as how to attract new teachers, I have on my list here is number one, treat them like professionals. And I think number two is you start off by saying every state, we start off with a $100,000 minimum salary. Now, some people laughed, a lot of money. Some people laughed at me out that, but uh, just imagine all of the things that our federal government, especially who I think which should be the people that, that subsidize this cost. They shouldn't come from our local taxes like, we've talked about before. Imagine all the things that our federal government spends money on that is a complete waste. For example, a wall or whatever else it might be, you know, that we're just blowing billions of dollars <laughs> through garbage. If you started, the, if you started, the, the, the socialist in me says a giant military industrial complex well, that could win, uh, win wars 10 million yeah, times over. Exactly. No, I'm, I'm, I'm right along with you there. We, we waste a lot of federal dollars on things that aren't going to make the impact on our on our kids like this would. So if you start uh, teachers off at $100,000 salary, uh, you yeah. better prepare your incoming teachers, for example, in a six-year degree like you're talking about. Uh, you have rigorous professional development requirements, not optional things, where we have to continue to grow in the profession. And, and we offer it like we did, we talked about in this last segment, in ways that are relevant to our teachers, but we don't give it as an option. We say, you must do these things and even bite into the summer months. You know, if it's going to be $100,000, maybe we only get a certain amount of time off in the summer. And the rest of the time, we're really growing as professionals, you know, in the summer uh, and really making sure that we have, that you know, we're on, on cue. We know exactly what we're doing. And then if you do all of that, you do recruit that kid that's that is uh, considering a variety of different careers. And then maybe they do yeah. have a passion to teach, to work with students. Uh, that is their passion. 
And then now they have a career that says, oh yeah, we can go ahead and, and, and pursue this because we have this salary. By the way, Mike, too, I was just thinking about your, your salaries that you were talking about in Canada. Yeah. Um, $20,000 of my salary, right? Went to insurance premiums, <gasps> right? So Whoa, I, I, just, I just did my taxes and I'll, I'll announce it to everybody here. It was $19,968. So $20,000 of my my earnings went to my insurance premiums so that is before uh sorry what do you mean by insurance premium so uh, insurance premium is basically the cost that you pay to have a specific plan of insurance and this is a subsidized plan by the school if you can imagine that so someone on the street would buy this plan it probably would cost him thirty thousand or more you know, I don't know how much more. So this is an insurance plan. So I went to the doctor. It still doesn't mean that it's going to cover everything, Mike. It's stupid. It's I still probably have to pay a copay uh, uh, yeah. and do some different things. So I'm just telling you right now that whatever my salary is, uh, let you can look at my salary. I'm probably getting paid sixty five thousand minus twenty thousand of that for my insurance premiums. And I'm not alone in this. In this thing, is a bunch of teachers that have this kind of situation. And then minus the cost of any outgoing, like anytime we actually go to the doctor or whatever it might be. And then now add on top of that uh, my uh, my student loans that I had, and anything else that you just want to do is just to survive. You're talking about like how are you? going to choose to do this career. You know, no wonder we can't attract new teachers. You incur a bunch of debt, you have to pay out tons of money in insurance premiums and you don't get it that good of a salary. And really my salary is really good, Mike, compared to a bunch yeah. of other states. My cost of living is way lower as far as my house and those kinds of things. Uh, and, it, but I can't, I don't even know how other people do it in other states. No wonder they have all those stories on Time Magazine, uh, you know, where yeah, they can't yeah. even afford to live. So, Cheryl's, um, I can tell you that, um, so we have, obviously we have, um, universal healthcare yes. in, in Ontario, as we all know, and I'll continue to, <clears throat> thank you. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, there is also, um, Cheryl gets supplementary, um, it's private healthcare, um, but it's fully paid by the board. So, so she doesn't have any copay. Uh, or anything like that. So the only thing we pay out of pocket uh, for related to healthcare at our house is um, the the dispensing fee on medication. Okay. At like the at like the pharmacy that three or I guess it'd be like five dollars at Costco uh, that you pay you know Costco to to fill your prescription. Okay. Um. That's that's that the only nice. thing. Yeah, that's, I mean, so 20 grand, I couldn't imagine being uh, like 20 grand right off the top. I just did my taxes, um, man. It was being, disgusting. Being, yep. Being cut out. <laughs> it would make, it would make a pretty significant difference to our lifestyle. Big time. Um, so, you know, uh, listen, all that I want is for the really smart people and there are i don't get me wrong there are a that's amazing teachers are, right now yes there are thousands hundreds of thousands of incredibly genius smart we know them and they're our friends yes. and and i mean um these are we're not brilliant. dissing the profession of just saying no why don't we just grow it we just need more really we just need get more. all of the people exactly we just want the astronaut to choose to teach instead of flying to space hey what a, what an amazing thing would that be? Yes. So, I mean, that's what we're looking for, just to grow it and some ideas um, about how to do that. Um, when we come back, uh, we're going to be joined by the man, the myth, the legend, Carl Hooker.
All right, welcome back, everybody. We're thrilled to be joined on the pod today by Carl Hooker. Carl is the Director of Innovation and Digital Learning at EANS ISD in Austin. Uh, he's a well-traveled speaker, conference keynoter. He does all the things, runs LearnFest ATX. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes um, that uh, runs in the summer. We've tried to have him on a couple times, and it just has never worked out. But he's back from vacation, and we're so happy to have him. Thanks for joining us, Carl. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate being on the podcast. I'm excited about it. We are too. So I, I actually have a story to get started. Uh-oh. Uh, and Carl, <laughs> you've heard a bit of this story before, but I want it out on the air because okay. I, think it's, I think it's important. So Carl is one of the first people that I ever met in like ed tech, like people, you know who I'm talking about. Air quotes, ed tech. I saw that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Twitter, edu, edu, edu Twitter famous, whatever people. Carl's one of the first people I ever met. It was 2013. We were at the Ed Tech Teacher Boston iPad Summit. Yep. And uh, we brought almost our whole school uh, to this summit. And I was in the whole day, morning, afternoon, the workshop, the whole day thing. Um, at the at the beginning of the the day before it actually started thing, um, and spent a whole day with Carl, and um, and we hit it off like really really well and had so much fun. We were doing like you know um, I don't know if we really use that word a whole lot anymore, but doing like app smashing. That yeah, was such a great, yeah. that's such a great a lot term. of playful banter. That was an interesting group. I remember that. There was only there wasn't a big workshop either, was it, Mike? I mean, there was like twenty or thirty people in there, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so Carl and I stayed in touch quite a bit and and talked on Twitter and back and forth. And um, my first time speaking at a conference was at ISTE in twenty fifteen. And I remember, and this is the part that I've told Carl before, and that's that Carl sat like in the front row of my <laughs> Minecraft presentation in 2015. And I have to say, Carl, that I'm not I'm not a hundred percent certain I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't partly for you and oh. like your, and your influence and your 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 advice and your mentorship. I I've, I'm a giant fan. And again, I don't think I'd be doing what I'm doing now if it wasn't for you. So I wanted to thank you for being like such a huge supporter of mine, like when I was first starting with talking about things. And, you know, um, I've said it before. It's like I had I feel I felt like I had things to say and that people wanted to listen. And you helped me prove that that was true. Uh, and so I, I can't help but thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. I remember that session very well. We were. Minecraft EDU was kind of an unknown thing. And I saw yeah. it on the schedule and I saw your name. And I thought, wait a minute, I know this guy. And so I remember sitting there in the front row and kind of heckling you a little bit, but it was great. <laughs> and I remember the, the range of people in that audience went from people that had never heard of what even Minecraft was. They were like, now yeah. what do I do next? I remember two people, exactly. I mean, like me who knew about it, but I, we wanted to see the application. It was pretty cool. But I was, uh, I, thank you for uh, for that shout out. And obviously you've done a lot of the work yourself. I, if I played a little part, that's awesome. Um, but uh, I really love seeing great people do great things. And that's something that uh, when I saw your early work, I was like, Mike, Mike's headed for something. Then he meets this Glenn guy. And then who knows what happens after that. <laughs> and they got a podcast and now it's a big hit. So awesome. <laughs> Um, so, so going into, to speaking off of that, I guess, is that I think, um, mentorship, um, has been super critical for me. Um, I've relied on, um, tons of people still, I talk to people all the time. 
um, maybe different types of people than the people I was talking to originally, you know, in, in the classroom. Um, but I'm still like, I'm talking to people like you and Steve Isaacs and a bunch of other people all the time to get advice on, on things that, um, like you guys have been doing some of this stuff that I'm just starting to do. You've been doing it for a while. Um, even mentors need mentors is, is I guess the way to say it. Um, do you still find yourself calling up folks for advice, despite the fact that you're looked up to by, you know, a ton of teachers like me and, and other people? Yeah, I, you know, it's different now, obviously, but I mean, early on in my career, I would, you know, a principal that I had, Dottie Hall, who got me kind of built around the idea of school culture. She brought me with me from campus to campus. And this is before I even got out and did anything other than just staying in the classroom. But she really taught me about the, the power of what a culture can do to a campus. And then bringing that same kind of energy and pizzazz and charisma to an adult learning situation, I found that I really had a niche and a love for teaching adults, which is a challenge, admittedly. They're not always as easy as kids, in fact, sometimes a lot harder. Um, and so from that, I kind of turned this career into a, I wanted to make sure I did something that had to do with professional learning. And so a lot of the avenues I've gone have all been revolving around that when it came to, you know, professional speaking, you know, there's a lot of people, you guys probably know them, George Kuros early on, Adam Bellow with all of his crazy, amazing slides and his slide design. Um, Kevin Honeycutt actually was the first one I talked to about just like as a career, what did it look like for him? I'm still working full-time in a school district, so I don't. I don't, I don't know that I'll ever be a full-time speaker, but um, just getting lots of tips and advice from him. But then honestly, lately, what it's been doing, what I've been doing is looking outside of education. So I get inspired by the strangest things and strangest places and stranger things, the show. Uh, and so yes. you'll, a lot of things that I find in other places, uh, and I don't know if you guys do this too, I'll, you know, I'll be at a festival like ACL Fest, which is our big music festival here a couple of years ago. And they were doing this thing called Silent Disco with, with different people listen to different um, DJs with headphones on, I started thinking, geez, is there a way to tie that into public, uh, to professional learning? And so at LearnFest, we pilot tested it this last year, and we're going to bring it back this year, the same kind of concept where you can listen to two keynote speakers at the exact same time on the exact same stage, but you have headphones on, they can toggle between the two of them, depending on which one you want to listen to. And the kicker is uh, they can see who they're, who's listening to them because of the color on the headphones change. So no pressure if you're on stage, but uh, I'm just so glad that's not me. Uh, wait, I thought you were doing it now. <laughs> Surprise! Uh, so so like we were just on a cruise, and you know, a lot of times I'll uh, even on cruise ships they do lots of different ways to get audience engagement on a cruise ship to get them enjoy and have the fun. So trivia night, trivia's are a big part of it. So lately, I've been incorporating a lot more like kind of a trivia concept. So even when I'm doing professional workshops, uh, I just did GATC in Georgia. And before, I always hate that lull that happens when you go and do a workshop and you wait that 15 to 12 minutes before the speaker gets up to talk and everyone's kind of sitting there looking at each other, looking at their phone. So I started to do trivia. As people walk in, I started doing trivia now, um, just random trivia questions with the audience. And then uh, and then when it's time for me to start, I'll start. But I just kind of, I don't like that awkward silence. So little things like that. Um, yeah. So I guess in terms of mentorship, there were people, individuals early on, and now it's more of like, I look for other places. So another one was Dr. Dre and. Um, Johnny Ive, they just had a documentary on HBO about oh kind God. of cross. Do you love that? Yes. Oh yeah, love same, it. Same, same music. Like my my my. Uh, for some reason, when it comes to just in general musical trivia knowledge, like 1986 to 1992 rap music is like the only thing I can karaoke and and do off the top of my head. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> but which I won't do right here on the podcast yet. Um, but 
you know, seeing how they just kind of remixed off of each other and vibe off each other. So like Felix Giacomino, who's in Miami, I talked to him quite a bit. Um, Adam File, who's in Atlanta. And it's funny, you know, Mike, you know, all these people from different parts of the world, we're all kind of connected quickly. So if we have an idea, let's bounce it off each other, like Fortnite EDU. Uh, and, mm. uh, Mike, come on. Um, so I've started to get to where I don't really get mentors as much. I feel like that I get the connection through collaboration and get inspired by others. Um, and inside and outside of education. So that's, I feel like that's where I'm at right now, uh, career-wise. I love that you course, mentioned that Dr. Dre uh, uh, HBO special. I love that. I can, I, I've watched it so many times. It just blows me away. I, I, it's on. I watch it. It's, I, I love that stuff. And then, of course, the lady who lives here, my boss, uh, my, my formal boss and, and <laughs> informal boss, uh, my wife also, I would say, give her a shout out because she's. I always joke that she makes a lot of multi-million dollar decisions at a district level sometimes. Because I come home and go, "Oh, what should we do about this? And what does this feel like if you're just a, a parent on the on the street? What does it look like to you?" And she gives me feedback like, "You know what? This is a good idea. This is probably not so good." Because I have a lot of ideas, I'll admit it, uh, and not all of them are good. <laughs> in fact, most of them aren't. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Uh, so, Eanes Independent School District in Austin is generally regarded as a model for ed tech. And I know you've been around and you've seen a lot of districts and how they operate. What do you guys think you're doing in your school district that's different? Uh, I think a couple of things. And, and I would say that, you know, when I started out in 2006, it, it, you know, it, we had the kind of what I call the TADD, which is Technology Attention Deficit Disorder, you know, where people are like, okay, here's some back then. It was like, here's the digital camera. Here's the Adobe Premiere Suite. Here's, you know, kind of throw a bunch of things out and see what sticks. Um, and when we went one-to-one -one in 2011, uh, it was starting to go that same route with apps. Like, let's just grab as many apps as we can. Let's figure out what we're going to yeah. do. And um, really, what we started doing the last four or five years, I feel like that, that set us above most, is that we really started to think about the thoughtful and purposeful use of tech in terms of a creation device, not just about consumption. Now, we're still one-to-one -one iPad. Um, and I know there's a ton of Chromebook districts out there, and we use Google as well. We're a Google suite. But uh, really starting to get ahead of the idea that apps are just not there to kind of put kids on for five minutes and then walk away. It's really about what are they creating with that content. And then the two things I would say that we do, that's not unique because a lot of districts are doing that. But the two things I would say that we do that makes us stand out is, um, one is we really have uh, a powerful team of educational technologists. We have uh, one on every campus and two at the high school. So we have nine campuses um, and two and two of them are at the high school, which is a massive high school. It's got 2,700 kids, Westlake High School. Um, and it's, uh, I would say that having that just-in-time avail availability is unique. I go to other districts, and you may have an instructional coach, or you may have a librarian, or someone who's floating around in multiple campuses, but having one on each campus is so, is, I just hardly ever see that ever. So I feel like that's a huge win. And then the other side of it, the other thing that we did a couple years ago is the state changed kind of the evaluation model here, and they gave us an opportunity to create our own um, if we didn't want to go with the state model. So we went and made our own kind of uh teacher evaluation model that wasn't based on proficiency, like, oh, check a box if you touch the smart board today type thing, um, which is what the old model kind of was. This is more on the growth model. So teachers have to identify uh, both an individual and a team thing they want to grow in um, for the year. It doesn't matter if you've been teaching one year or 30 years, you still have to grow and continue to, to learn, right? And so I feel like that's really kind of motivated the teachers to seek out help now to say, okay, I, I want to improve in this area. And when it comes to technology, that's always usually one that's up there. So they'll reach out to me, they'll reach out to our team, like, how do we do this and how do we make it better? So I feel like those two things, having the one-on-one -on -one person on every campus and then kind of that unique evaluation model, um, although more districts are moving to it. I love it. That kind of growth model is not not a negative that you have to grow. It's, it's always a positive. So 
I mean, speaking of your your team, you've you've brought it up already a couple times, and and it's funny because um one of the things I've noticed a lot more popping up on on Twitter, especially from you or from from kind of the your your district's Twitter account, is references to to you guys working together a lot, and that that I think is really really cool. You you obviously have a a pretty damn good team going on down there, so why don't you speak a little bit to to kind of your team, how you guys work together and, and how you lead them and stuff like that. Sure. I, I'm a, I, you know, you talked about mentors earlier. Sometimes you get inspiration from leaders that uh, let's just say that you don't want to be like, so when I started out in education, I found a couple of leaders. I was like, Ooh, too much top down, too much uh, kind of behind closed doors. Um, not a lot of collaborative leadership. And so for me, when I got this role uh, about eight years ago, I say, I'm going to start this out by being a pretty much a flat leader. I mean, we're going to be on the same page together. We're going to collaborate together. Sure, there's times when I'll have to say no or the buck stops with me. But for the most part, um, I really value their leadership. And I was at Google, uh, the Googleplex uh, back in, in Mountain View a few years ago, and I ran across the two Google CEOs. And they said, you know, our thing is always hire people smarter than you. Um, so that's been my goal ever since that moment. I was like, All right, I'm going to go out and do this. So we started with an exhaustive gauntlet, it's, it's a, it's a seven stage hiring process that's modeled after Google and Facebook somewhat. Um, that's not like anything I've seen in education where basically the people that want to apply for these jobs have to go through several series of different things to get the job. So I know that when we get through the whole process, that they really want the job and they get rated out the highest, they definitely deserved it and earned it. And so the team is, is made up of people, some of which some Twitter all-stars in there, um, you know, tech chef for you, Lisa Johnson just came out with a new book. That's pretty it's amazing. Going to be on the pod soon. No, very good. So Lisa's at the high school. Um, she and I've been working together for probably six years now. She's one of the first to come on board. Um, and a lot of us have kids in the district too. So that's another big sell because honestly, these people, they could all be my position in other districts. A lot of them, um, Chris Hansen, who came over from Maynard, same thing. Jennifer flood from Bastrop, same thing. Um, these are, again, people that could be the directors in their own school districts, but they came and kind of joined the team because they, they kind of see where we're going and the vision of trying those new things. Um, Rich Lombardo has done some amazing work with drones. You and Mike, you guys would totally get along great because he's done a lot of, he just started a drone racing league at the middle school, actually. I'm oh, going to go check man. it out next week. Um, so again, this group is just, uh, it's, it's, it's a great team. We have uh, four uh, Apple Distinguished Educators on the team. Um, and uh, I think the big thing about us is how we work is, you know, most of our time admittedly is on campus. I mean, we, we try not to pull off a of campus that much because that's really where we need to be face to face. But we do get, we do gather every couple of weeks uh, for a couple hours and just kind of resync, sync up when we can. Um, we'll have after, after work meetings quite a bit too, uh, if you know what I mean. Um, and so we try to make sure that we're always kind of connected, whether it be professionally or even just personally, just like how we're doing, how we're catching up with each other's lives. Um, and we all live kind of crazy lives. I mean, we all have kids and we're all going to conferences and things like that. But uh, our, our main job here in the district is still to kind of make sure that we're pushing the district forward and, and knowing that there's no ceiling on excellence. So no matter what, we're always going to be improving. And these people, let me tell you, holding a meeting with the 10 of them um, is pretty intimidating because I'll, I'll walk into it and, you know, they'll tear me apart sometimes and say, like, if I'll have an idea, they'll say, hey, they'll really chew it up and spit it back out at me. And I'll say, OK, you know what? I need to rethink this. So it's humbling, but at the same time, it makes me better too. So I, I totally enjoy it. I love every minute of it. Um, and I've been lucky. It's taken me eight years, like I said, to build this team. So it's it's powerful. And you'll see them all in action uh, this summer at LearnFest. So I'm excited to showcase all of them. Ah, perfect. LearnFest ATX. <laughs> is, 
he segued into that. I, I he, this guy knows what he's doing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so LearnFest ATX, June 11th to 13th. By the way, we're going to have a registration link in the show notes uh, that I think has a bit of a discount if you want to come. Um, so tell us, give us like the Coles notes of LearnFest. Can you tell us? Anything about the the conference in general, themes, kind of key speakers, sessions, keynotes? Uh, tell us, give us the top down on on LearnFest. Okay, so LearnFest, this is the first real full year of it. Last year we were beta, so we we tried out some new concepts. Um, uh, I think seven different things that we had never seen at any other conference or edtech any event. Um, and out of those seven things, uh, four of them were really awesome. Um, so we, three of them, not so good. So we, we kind of trashed those and said, okay, for the big one, we're going to bring some back out. One of which was the silent disco. We're bringing that in, um, in terms of speakers, uh, well, Mike, you're one of our featured speakers this year. Um, uh, we've got people from all over the country and I'll tell you, and I'll be honest, a lot of these people, um, are keynote speakers at other conferences. Um, so Monica Burns, Adam File, Felix Giacomino, who I mentioned before, Steve Dembo, um, Shannon Miller, Brianna Hodges, who's on our team and actually shares an office with me. So feel feel very sad for her because she has to deal with me all the time. Um, <laughs> uh, our keynote speaker is Manoush uh, Zemarodi, who does the Note to Self podcast and is uh, part of the WNYC uh, and uh, uh, NPR channel up there in New York. She's got a book called Bored and Brilliant um, that came out that really is a great kind of idea about how to balance technology and life, which is something we've been really helping our kids with and also helping our, our teachers with in terms of, you know, when is it a good time to turn yourself off? You know, don't check email after seven o'clock, those kind of things. Um, so we're excited to have her on board. Julie Wilcott, Carrie Gallagher, I mean, Don Goble, um, Kyle Pace, Monica Burns. Um, you probably heard Lisa. You first, I already mentioned her, Christina Ishmael, um, Andy Marsnick. I'm just kind of scrolling quick to see Audie, uh, Audrey O'Claire. I'm probably forgetting some people, but that's a few off the top list. So about 30 featured speakers, and then there's 30 people. So that's you know that's one featured speaker per person. No, <laughs> I think it's going to end up being about a thousand people. <laughs> I think it'll be about a thousand people. It's funny because I was as I was doing the featured speaker, someone on the team said, "Carl, how many featured speakers can you have?" And I was like, "I don't know, but we're going to push the limit." Um, <laughs> so, uh, but these people are awesome. I mean, Mike, I appreciate you coming down. I mean, a lot of you guys are doing it at pretty much nothing. I mean, you're just coming down. At, I'm helping cover a little bit of travel, but. I can't, obviously I can't afford to pay all of these people. It's a, it's a kind of a small homegrown event. Um, so you're going to have your traditional kind of sit and sit and get and sit and interact type sessions, but we'll mix in a lot of different things. So the idea of this event is, uh, and the theme is, is ready learner one kind of based on the ready player one concept. So a lot of eighties retro video games is kind of the theme. You'll see a lot of stuff with that. There's gonna be a lot of Easter eggs hidden throughout the event, both physical and digital. Um, uh, I don't want to give away too much. I'm trying to think what I can tell you uh, legally. Um, <laughs> the website already, by the way, just a hint for those of you that are listening, the website has Easter eggs hidden on it. You just have to find them. Um, and then let me think. So one of the other things I can tell you that we're doing, to, I'll, I'll do two things real quick. One is as a person attending, this is the thing. Whenever you go to those conferences like ISTE and TCA, these are great, big, giant, massive, you know, 12,000, 18,000 people events. I always see that kind of same look, you know, that look of that person walking through the halls going, I'm so overwhelmed. There's so much going on. What do I do? Um, yeah. It's great that I got to hear this, but I went to four terrible sessions and now I got this one good session. Uh, and so it's kind of like, um, and Felix has called it, you know, kind of like the Walmart of ed tech. There's lots of stuff, um, but you have to kind of pick and choose. So this is more of a boutique event, if, if you will, really specializing, really honing it down to those great things that you pick that I always hear when people go to ISTE and say, man, it was great connecting and collaborating with people. 
So we really try to make that the feature of these events. Um, and so as an individual, you'll have an opportunity to do some individual things, both in sessions, but also in terms of earning badges throughout the event. Um, you'll be able to have some collaborative team activities. We have the Amazing Race that we've been doing with iPad Palooza for several years, but we're bringing that back, uh, kind of a remix of that um, this year. So you'll be able to earn some prizes that way. Um, then there's kind of the larger scale events, both on the big stage. Um, and we just debuted this 49 inch, uh, 49 foot video wall that we have um, last year that's gorgeous. Um, it's the only one I know of in a high school in the country. And that thing is massive. And I love putting slides on that thing because it's beautiful to look at 4K. Um, so that's uh, that's eye opening when you walk into that into the I main gotta, theater. I'm gonna need to up my uh, up my slide deck <laughs> game, I guess. I no, yes, it's def- it's not it's not conventional. It's like 3300 by 2408 or something too. Like the slide dimensions is weird. Oh, um, so we'll talk. We'll I'll chat with you about that offline. But uh, yeah, so lots of different things. The other thing I'll say that we're bringing back from the from last year that again I got from somewhere else. It wasn't from education. Um, is we did the what's hot in ed tech challenge. And the way that works is you have three minutes to kind of come up with a hot concept, something hot in ed tech. But before you talk, you get up on stage and you spin this digital wheel and there's peppers in front of you, a poblano, a habanero, a jalapeno, and a serrano. And you have to eat the pepper before you actually get up and talk on stage. (laughs) Um, So people had to sign waivers. I did it too uh, last year. It was hilarious, but also awesome because you had to actually get a three-minute session out in front of a large crowd while you're crying, um, essentially the whole time. Uh, so I'm, gr- I'm growing some ghost chilies in my backyard right now. We'll Ooh. see. Uh, uh, that can be dangerous though. So I don't know if I'll break those out, but, uh, no, it's, that was a fun <laughs> one. It got a lot of, it got a good response. So I've already got a couple people that have volunteered to willingly get up on stage and do that. Believe it or not. Um, I don't think I'm doing it again this year, but, uh, someone else can do that. Um, yeah, lots of good, lots of good stuff. We're doing a teacher shark tank. So if you want to win prizes again, come up with a concept, something you want to do in your classroom, we'll award prizes for that. Uh, last That's awesome. group wanted to redo a um, kind of an atrium part of their high school. And uh, so they pitched a, a little a thing for less than a thousand dollars that they could, you know, get these large, like giant chess pieces and things like that and kind of rethink a, it was kind of a dead space at the high school. Um, and so they won the shark tank challenge uh, last year. So lots of, lots of fun ways to interact over the, the three days of the event um, for sure. And then of course, food trucks, live bands, the traditional kind of stuff that we used to do with, iPad Palooza. So, I mean, I can't think of a better way to spend the summer, early summer for a couple of days than Austin in, yeah. in early June. So, listen, LearnFest ATX is June 11 to 13th. Like we said, we're going to put a link in the in the show notes. Uh, if you want to come, and it sounds like you should definitely want to come, uh, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of um, uh, awesome stuff going on and sounds like a little bit of nonsense as well, oh, yeah. uh, which is, which is always good. Um, Carl, thanks for joining us. This has been amazing. Um, Carl Hooker, everyone, how can people get in touch with you? How can people follow you on, on Twitter and all of that stuff? Uh, I'm at Mr. Hooker on Twitter. So make sure you follow at Mr. Hooker. Don't go to at Hooker. That's something totally different. Um, and, and the same. Okay. Mildly inappropriate. Um, uh, I'm at, <laughs> At Hooker Tech on everything else, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, and all that. And then um, LearnFest ATX is uh, is the same at Instagram uh, and Twitter as well. So a lot of the events we're putting out through that. And that's me, but other people are controlling that account too, just kind of whenever we do promo things coming up. But uh, yeah, and then Mike, the link you guys are talking about, should be able to get 10 bucks off right now. We're doing, uh, we're still in regular reg- registration through April. Um, and then June 11th was the uh, pre, kind of the pre-fest learn shop, the longer kind of pre-events that are happening, but the two main days, the 12th and 13th is the big event itself. So uh, we'd love to have you all down. Yeah. Austin in June, 
It was gorgeous. It's not quite super hot yet, but uh, we'll be inside for most of it. So if it is hot, we'll have tents and things outside just to cool us off. Amazing. Awesome. Thanks so much, Carl. Thank you all. Appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn. My co-host is Glenn Irvin. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd love if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and we'll see you soon.